This is the Read Your Bible Podcast, the daily podcast designed to help you understand and apply the scriptures. Nothing will grow your relationship with Jesus Christ more than studying the Bible for yourself. I'm your host, Drew Tankersley, and for the next few moments, I want to invite you to join me as we dive into God's Word together. We'll ask God to help us see what He wants us to see so that we can be who He wants us to be. Movie critic Mark Zambrano writes, The greatest movie villain of all time deserves the greatest of movie entrances. On paper, Darth Vader's first appearance in the original Star Wars is probably the least impressive of the others on the list. A door opens, he struts in, looks around, and walks out. Boom. However, add in the Imperial March, a haze of smoke, some ominous wheezing, and a billowing black cape, and you've got the recipe for a cultural phenomenon that still captivates audiences to this day. But no artist's conception on a silver screen can hold a candle to the vision the prophet Ezekiel has of the God of creation entering the storyline to defend his holiness of his name. It should incite wonder and terror at the same time as we behold the Holy One of Israel in all of his glorious splendor from Ezekiel chapter 1. Look with me if you would please today in verse number 4 of Ezekiel 1. I looked, and there was a whirlwind coming from the north, a huge cloud with fire flashing back and forth and brilliant light all around it. In the center of the fire, there was a gleam like amber. The likeness of four living creatures came from it, and this was their appearance. They looked something like a human, but each of them had four faces and four wings. Their legs were straight, and the soles of their feet were like hooves of a calf sparkling like the gleam of polished bronze. They had human hands under their wings on their four sides. All four of them had faces and wings. Their wings were touching. The creatures did not turn as they moved. Their faces looked something like the face of a human. And each of the four had the face of a lion on the right, the face of an ox on the left, and the face of an eagle. That's what their faces looked like. Their wings were spread upward, each had two wings touching that of another and two wings covering its body. Each creature went straight ahead, wherever the spirit wanted to go. They went without turning as they moved. The likeness of the living creatures was like the appearance of blazing coals of fire or like torches. Fire was moving back and forth between the living creatures. It was bright with lightning coming out of it. The creatures were darting back and forth like flashes of lightning. Ezekiel 1 records for us the breathtaking image of God's power, his presence, and his purpose for the people of Judah. The chapter begins with Ezekiel, the priest of God, among the exiles by the Kabar Canal. As we've discovered, there are three successive waves of exiles sent to Babylon from the nation of Judah. After Judah had rejected the pleas of the prophets to turn from their idols repeatedly, God's people had essentially forced his hand of judgment on their rebellion. The very language of the covenant that God made with them at Sinai bounds God to bring about the curse that would successively move them from the land of promise. This judgment was precisely what had occurred through the invasion of the people of Babylon to their north. 
the first of these three waves of exiles had already been deported to Babylon at the time of Ezekiel's writing, including the prophet himself. The fall of Jerusalem, the destruction of the temple, and the land's desolation were all yet to occur. This context is vital to the vision Ezekiel the prophet has on the banks of the Kabar Canal on the outskirts of Babylon. The canal was an irrigation canal that brought fresh water into the city of Babylon, and artifacts found on the banks of these rivers and these canals give us evidence that there were indeed Jewish settlements there. Now, Ezekiel is the prophet of God whose ministry is filled with visionary imagery of what was about to occur for Jerusalem in the days ahead. This vision in chapter 1 begins that prophetic ministry. Ezekiel sees a whirlwind coming from the north with a massive cloud of fire flashing back and forth with brilliant light all around it. This whirlwind is none other than God's judgment coming from the north on Judah's perpetual idolatry. This whirlwind that was to come from that direction was more than just the nation of Babylon coming to invade the land. It was the hand of God's judgment on the people's sin as many of the other prophets would corroborate. This whirlwind is filled with fire flashing back and forth with brilliant light all around it, and at the center of it was a fire. There are multiple places where God's presence is likened to a refiner's fire that removes the dross of impurity in the crucible of affliction. Such is the case with God's judgment here. God is refining his people even in the midst of judging them for their sin. And he is stripping away from them their idols and their dependence on those things and leading them to a place of sheer desperation where they yearn again for his presence. From the gleam in the center of the fire arose a likeness of four living creatures. And it's as if Ezekiel is struggling with the bounds of language to describe such incredibly heavenly beings. These creatures will return again in Ezekiel 10. And they have an uncanny likeness to those around God's throne in heaven in Revelation 4. The creatures that cry perpetually, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. These cherubim are none other than the protectors of God's holiness. These people were holy unto the Lord, set apart for a relationship with him. And when that righteousness was besmirched, attacked, if you will, God will come to defend his holiness, his set-apartness, if you will. These people had perverted that holiness with which God had redeemed them from slavery in Egypt trading it instead for idolatry that defamed the holy name of God. And these creatures were literally ushering in the holy God who sat on the throne to defend his holiness among his people and judge the savage desecration of God's holy name. Now remember that the holiness of God speaks of who he is. He is unlike any other set apart, different in a class by himself. Remember, Jehovah commanded that they have no other God but him, namely because there was no other God like him. He was to be lauded and adored as the one true God. 
And God's people had failed to do that. And now he was coming on the wings of these protectors of his holiness to defend his name, the essence of who he was. And he would not allow his people, or anyone for that matter, to take up relationship with him and then turn around and spit in the face of his holiness, not without fierce penalty and judgment. This dramatic entrance is precisely the vision that Ezekiel is beholding. He is seeing God himself coming to defend his holiness from a people who have scorned his name. These creatures resembled humanity, and each had four faces and four wings. The faces resembled a human, a lion, an ox, and an eagle. These creatures, conceived and formed by the mind of God himself, are meant to display his holiness, his unlikeness, because they represent the king of each classification of creation. For example, of the wild animals, well, the lion is the chief. The ox is the head of the domesticated animals. The eagle is the chief of the sky. And the crowning achievement of all created order is humanity itself. These creatures then show God and his character as the Lord over every category and classification of creation. God towered over every corner of his design as the Lord and maker of them all. He was the Lord of every corner of his creation, and Judah's rebellion had raised its obstinate fist against Jehovah's lordship over them one too many times, and now God was coming to desecrate their disrespect in the days ahead. Then we learned that the legs of these creatures were straight and the soles of their feet like hooves of a calf. These hooves speak of the surety of God's purposes. There was no joint, no division, just straight legs. It speaks of a singularity of essence. God would accomplish his singular purpose of retribution, and his footing would not slip in the day of judgment. The text says that every creature went straight ahead wherever the spirit wanted to go. They went without turning as they moved. That means that God's purpose was not this way than that, zigzagging about as human activity often is. No, the purpose of God moves in a straight line, perfect in its course and unstoppable in its direction. Next, Ezekiel beholds again the blazing coals of fire or torches that go forth with fire moving back and forth like lightning. It resembles the descent of God upon Mount Sinai with fury and smoke and lightning and fire. The whole mountain quaked with the fierce presence of a holy God. The same God that was now riding in judgment towards Jerusalem with a refining fire of his judgment in view. And at the base of these creatures, we learned that there was a wheel within a wheel. This wheel structure signified the Spirit of God. Now this truth must have been a mind-blowing revelation for the people of Judah, who thought that God's presence rested fixed in their temple alone. They had thought of God as static, stationary, since the construction of the temple under Solomon. But what they needed to recognize is that God was on the move, mobile, marching toward them now in judgment refining their impurity. Think of the path of a whirlwind, a tornado that destroys everything in its wake. 
When it sits down on the land, it wrecks and devastates everything in its unpredictable path of destruction. This image was precisely what God would have Ezekiel behold in the judgment of God upon Judah's sin. Except the path of this tornado was not zigging and zagging across the landscape. The path of this tornado was barreling down the fixed pathway of God's judgment on Jerusalem. It was designed to be at once awe-inspiring and terrifying. We learned that these creatures' wings, when they moved, were so loud that it sounded like the roar of a massive torrent, like the voice of God himself. Remember the last time the people heard God's voice. It was so deafening on Sinai that the people thought they would die. They begged for Moses to listen to God for them. Now this rush of God's movement along the path of his judgment was like the sound of a tumult, the noise of an army. Again, Ezekiel struggles to find language to articulate what he is beholding. It was the freight train of God's judgment barreling down the track of his divine choosing headed right for their sinful rebellion to judge with fury and outrage their habitual insolence. The long-suffering of God's mercy had been shown to them for generations in the mouths of numerous prophets who had pleaded with them to repent. All the while, they scorned, imprisoned, persecuted, and rejected the voice of God. Now that voice would thunder with judgment against their wicked rebellion. Now, at the end of the chapter, Ezekiel beholds a throne made of sapphire. The Ten Commandments were carved from that throne of sapphire and given to Moses in Exodus 24. We often think of the law of God as being written on tablets of stone. But the first time the law is given, the only stone mentioned is the sapphire stone of God's throne, the same stone mentioned here in Ezekiel 1. The text clarifies that God inscribed the commandments on this stone as a reflection of his character. This law is the very foundation of God's authority. It was his character dispensed in relationship to humanity. God's very essence, the same seat of his power, resided in these tablets of sapphire given to Moses for the people of Israel. And that's why when Moses found out that the people were worshiping a golden calf in violation of the very first of those commandments, he dashed them against the rocks because that's precisely what they had done. They had destroyed the very throne, the very authority of God in the midst through their rebellion. This denigration is exactly what Israel had now done for centuries. And the fierce wrath of a holy God would not allow his chosen people to trample the authority and power of his throne any longer. That God is now coming to destroy and make desolate the people who had so long spit in the face of his holiness. But amid the fury of God's judgment, Ezekiel records for us a faint reminder of the character of this God. For though he was coming in judgment to defend his holy name against the brazen rebellion of his chosen people, Ezekiel beholds a brilliant light around the one who sits on the throne. He describes that brilliant light as a rainbow in a cloud on a rainy day. 
This sign is a beautiful reminder of God's grace amid the judgment that was about to ensue. This God who would defend his holiness and will not allow his people to malign his name perpetually is also the same God who promised no longer to fully annihilate and destroy all of humanity again. The rainbow is the sign of that grace even in the face of his judgment. The chapter fittingly ends, This was the appearance of the likeness of God's glory. Judgment and grace, justice and mercy, in one breathtaking vision of a God who was coming to defend his holiness against the evil wickedness of his chosen people. Well, the application is pretty straightforward, isn't it? With Ezekiel, we say, when I saw it, I fell face down. This humility is the only proper response to this vision of God revealed on the banks of the Kabar Canal. To fall at his feet and plead for his mercy and to know that it is his character to grant it to a people who will repent of their evil ways, of their idolatrous machinations. To be wrecked by this vision is like Isaiah's cry, Woe is me! But also, like Isaiah, what was meant to bring judgment, namely the coals of God's wrath, actually become the healing stream that commissions us to speak of his goodness and grace. This vision should also keep in front of us the holiness of our God. It should remind us that he is a God who will defend his name and his character against the mutiny of our selfishness. This vision should make us quake at the thought of our rebellion and fall on our face begging for his grace to cover our sin. This posture should lead us to worship a God who poured out all of that wrath on his son, giving us life and mercy and eternal peace with him. It should be incredibly instructive for us. The picture of a God on the move, in judgment, defending his holiness in the face of an insolent people should be enough to wreck any vestige of rebellion lurking within us against his holy name. Our insidious idols can't hold a candle to the vision of this God, and they stand no chance of saving us from the wrath of the Holy One of Israel, who will defend his holiness, his set-apartness, his demand for authentic worship against the idolatry of the human heart. When we behold him for who he is, through his word, in the beauty of his holiness and splendor, the captivity of our present situation doesn't even compare to such a vision. When the incredible glory of God captivates our attention, we will never again be consumed with our current circumstance. If we were to live with this vision of God, how different might our perspective of the difficulty that we encounter on a daily basis be? Would we not be so lost in wonder by the concept of this God that the problems of our lives would seem so ridiculously trivial in light of such splendor? Oh, to be ever in the view of this glory of God, that the chains of our present circumstance would pale in comparison to the glory beheld in your presence, O oh God.
Help us to turn again to you and remind us that the wrath and the fury and the rage of this God who will defend his character in his name was for us poured out on his son, Jesus Christ. And peace was made on that day. May we ever live in a state of worship and humility as we consider this God of justice and grace. In your name, amen. Thanks for joining us today for the Read Your Bible podcast. For show notes to today's episode, please visit readyourbible.info. While you're there, you can listen to past episodes as well as access a host of additional resources designed to help you grow in your faith. It's all there for you at readyourbible.info. That's readyourbible.info. For more information about South Seminole Baptist Church, just go to southseminole.com. Join us again tomorrow as together we help you learn to read your Bible.